Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris, and I'm joined today with Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hi, everybody. And today we are taking a look into the ability foretell. So, Joe, you've been working on anything this week? Oh, yes. Uh, we've been talking about Kaldheim for a while now and how exciting it is. Of course, you know, being a commander player, one of the things that I caught right off the bat was uh, the new Valky God of Lies card. Made a big splash when everything debuted, and of course Tybalt being on the back was finally a Tybalt worth playing. So I immediately thought I, I really want to work this card into a commander deck. Also, you know, big Chase Mythic. You just you want to hope that you can grab a copy of that card. So I did a bunch of looking and seeing what other people had in mind for the deck, and I finally settled on my own sort of little outside the box kind of an idea, where I'm not really planning to use Valky all that much. And in fact, if I do cast Valky, we, we have a massive problem with the deck. The whole point is to force my opponents to discard or mill their cards. And then later on in the game, I'm going to steal everybody's graveyard with Tybalt's final ability. All right, now this does, of course, get into the idea that I can actually ultimate Tybalt, which I know is, is a concern and it may not work out. But if I can get Tybalt out, force everyone to exile their graveyards, I have a massive collection of cards that I can play. On top of it, I'm able to rummage through my own deck, of course, to find the exact cards that I need. So I have a bunch of, you know, discard a card, draw cards, but I don't care if I'm discarding cards because odds are I'm going to get them back. What you don't realize and most people don't realize about Valky, when you cast the card from exile, it does not say exile the card after you cast it which means that since it's cast, it goes to the graveyard of its owner, which means that I can continue to pull those cards back as long as I can keep Valky on the battlefield. Now, again, odds of me having to do that twice, very slim. But if necessary, I could actually end up just continually using my opponent's cards against them time after time after time. We'll have to see if it works. I don't know yet. I'm so happy. You're getting into the graveyard again. Yes. <laughs> so what's your, your uh, new fun deck, Chris? So I'm not really building anything new. It's more along the lines of reworking. And that's because I'm reworking my uh, Ren and Sari um, deck. to Because right now it's like cat-dog tribal. So there's right. both of them. Um, but I'm going to be reworking it because I have because I have a card that I want to play with it. Dahina, the Orphan Guard, the one where you can have it as right, your companion right, yeah. if everything's like a cat, elemental, and some mm -hmm. other things. And so if I rework it into Cat Tribal, then I can have a companion, and the companion just it buffs and also gives vigilance to... My, it'll give vigilance to all my cats. So why not have that? Why not? Plus That's I, a great idea. <laughs> plus, I just love playing with 101 cards in a 100-card format. Cheater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's always fun. These decks sound great, and I can't wait until we get to play them against each other. Chris, take us into our words to live by for this week. So, this one is going to be a doozy. Our words to live by, well, there's 10 of them, and that is the guilds. So, I'll take the first half, and Joe can take the second half. We'll start it off with Azorius, which is white and blue. Demir, which is blue-black. Rakdos, red-black. Gruul, red-green. 
Selesnia, green, white. Joe? Then we have Orzov, which is white, black. Izit, which is red and blue. Golgari, which is black and green. Boros, red and white. And then finally, Simic, which is blue and green. And these are really important for people to know. I know, Chris, when we first started playing again, you obviously got started a lot earlier than I did getting back into it. And I remember that you were throwing out these words and I had no idea what you were talking about because I had quit playing right before Ravnica, first time Ravnica came out. And recently we had a friend who has started playing. He asked us the same question. What is it? What does Demir whatever happen to mean? You know, and so knowing these color combinations of shorthand names, although whether or not Celestia is actually shorter and easier to say than green white is up for debate. Knowing these is is vital for a new player. Yeah, the only downside to these is the rabbit hole that opens up whenever you look into them. Like, because you're looking at 10 yeah. different lore <laughs> stories. Yeah, yeah, that's a rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> well, let's talk about Fortel. So, Fortel debuted in Kaldheim, spring of 2021. Um, And forgot to preface this, this show does come with disclaimers. Everything that is talked about on this show is relevant at the time of recording. If something comes up after this uh, episode is uh, published and released, if something changes, um, you just have to take it with a grain of salt with this episode. Um, Whatever is discussed here is our opinions. Um, We have no stake in Magic the Gathering. We can only give our opinions. Um, so take everything we say with a grain of salt. With that being said, um, Fortel, as I said, debuted in Keldheim, which is which was re- released in spring of 2021. And it's too early right now because it's the most recent set to come out to really gauge um, its power potential. But all the reactions that we've seen to like it being previewed and everything and actually being able to kind of play with the cards, has been positive, at least from what I've seen. Oh, I know. I love the set. And this this particular ability, it's so extremely powerful. I know that in Limited especially, it, it is just, it can be devastating. Because you, you could have so many different Fortel cards that are out there. And, and one, you know, they're so difficult to interact with once they become foretold. That I know, at least in Limited and a little bit in Standard, it's it's extremely powerful. And people are really enjoying it. Um, but we'll have to see what happens as things go on. So, Joe, since you are into the, all the rules and everything, you want to take this little bit of a nugget? All right, everybody, buckle up. So we've we've talked about rules for a while, you know, for the past couple episodes, but uh, Fortel has quite a bit of them. So here we go. We're going to go through these rules, and we'll talk about a little bit of them as necessary. So the rule is 702.142 Fortel. All right. 702.142A. Fortel is a keyword that functions while the card with Fortel is in a player's hand. Anytime a player has priority during their turn, that player may pay two generic mana and exile a card with Fortel from their hand face down. If the player does, that player may look at that card and they may cast it after the current turn has ended by paying any foretell cost it has rather than paying that spell's mana cost. Casting a spell this way follows the rules for paying alternative cost in rules 601.2b and 601.2f through h. 
702.142b. Exiling a card using its foretell ability is a special action which doesn't use the stack. This is really important and one of the reasons that foretell is so powerful, because foretell doesn't use the stack, as long as it is your turn, because of course that's part of the rules for foretell, you can only cast it as a sorcery, or you can only foretell as a sorcery, all right? As long as it's your turn and the stack is empty, you can do this special action and nobody can respond to it, all right? That's, they can't do anything about it. It happened, that's it, it's done, and, and there's nothing that they can do to stop it from happening, all right? Kind of like morph and adding mana to your mana pool. All of those fall under special actions. 702.142c. If an effect refers to foretelling a card, it means performing the special action associated with a foretell ability. If an effect refers to a card or spell that was foretold, it means a card put in the exile zone as a result of the special action associated with a foretell ability, or a spell that was for a foretold card before it was cast, even if it was cast for a cost other than a foretell cost. 702.142d. If an effect states that a card in exile becomes foretold, that card becomes a foretold card. That effect may give the card a foretell cost. That card may be cast after the current turn has ended for any foretell cost it has, even if the resulting spell doesn't have foretell. This rule is especially important for a couple cards out there, Dream Devourer being the most important one, uh, at least at this current time, it gives your spells foretell, all right? So once they have been foretold, even if Dream Devourer leaves the battlefield, they are still foretold, and they can't, it's not like they go into exile forever. You can still play them. If a player, oh, my apologies, 702.142e, if a player owns multiple foretold cards in exile, they must ensure that those cards can be easily differentiated from each other and from any other face-down cards in exile which that player owns. This includes knowing both the order in which those cards were put into exile and any foretell cost other than their printed foretell cost that those cards may have. Now this is of course assuming that you're going to get a lot of foretell cards out there and that based off of what we've seen, that really isn't happening that too often. But you do need to make sure you know which cards you can cast if you have multiple cards in foretold in, the, uh, foretold in exile and which ones you cannot cast yet. Part of foretell is that you cannot cast it until a later turn. So if you just foretold a card this turn, you need to make it very clear to your opponent that this card cannot be cast yet, but this other stack of foretold cards I have can be cast. Okay, last rule. 702.142f. If a player leaves the game, all face-down foretold cards that player owns must be revealed to all players. At the end of each game, all face-down foretold cards must be revealed to all players. This really just makes sure that nobody can cheat. The last thing you want is for someone to have this awesome spell in their hand. They pay two and they foretell a card, but it can't actually be foretold, and they're really just protecting that card from being discarded. Now, it's not going to do them any good, of course, because they can't actually play it. But still, you want to make sure that people are playing fairly by the rules. And really, the same thing happens with a lot of other exiling abilities or face-down abilities. Morph is the same way. If you morph a creature, at the end of the game, you have to turn it face up to prove that it could be morphed. 
All right, and they had that ability. So at the end of every game, just keep that in mind. And if you're the opponent of someone playing foretell cards, make sure that you do get the, the, get the player to turn those foretold cards face up. It's really important, and it gives you some good information. Chris, there are a lot of cards with foretell, but tell, talk to us about some of the most prominent foretold cards that we've had so far. So we actually have the featured cards that we're going to be talking about right in front of us. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pick one at random and talk about it. All right. Looks like I picked Mystic Reflection. It's an instant for one in a blue with choose target non-legendary creature. The next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn, they enter as copies of the chosen creature. And its foretell cost is a blue. So I like this because not only is it control, but it's also kind of a, it can either be a good thing or a bad thing. Obviously you're in blue, so you can run it in like Simic. You can do it in ramp. Mm -hmm. And you can do it with, guess what else is in blue? Coma. Yeah. So you could have something interest serpents. That's true. So you could just, you know, use this in a coma deck. And whenever, say, you're playing a bunch of, like, little tokens, oh, well, next time something enters the battlefield, next time all these... Yeah. All it says is non-legendary. So when all of these little... Ooh, Avenger of Zendikar. Avenger of Zendikar enters. Play this. Oh, all those plants are now serpents. Or a lot of people have actually done it because of the way the triggers can be ordered on the stack. <laughs> you you can actually turn all of your plant tokens into Avengers of Zendikar. <laughs> so you can end up with a bunch of Avengers of Zendikar that then create their own plant tokens when they come in. So Mystic Reflection has actually been one of those cards that's caused a lot of issues for players because of how it works on the stack and and how you can get those different triggers and different abilities. Um, we'll keep it simple here. You know, it, it's, it's a great way to copy a card of your own. Or, Chris, you might remember the last time that we played uh, that I used this deck. I think I actually ended up effectively countering your commander because I had your, uh, your commander was coming in and I targeted a spirit token of mine. And so instead of your creature coming in as a commander, it came in as a 1-1 spirit. Yep, I remember that Which, now. <laughs> and so effectively, Mystic Reflection can turn into a counter spell. So it's, it, it's a great card. Unfortunately, it's not seeing a lot of play in standard right now, but you know, it, it, it's a wonderful card with a lot of cool tricks. Yeah, I think, it, wait, was I playing, that was against my Conrad deck, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, you turn my Sir Conrad into a <laughs> into a spirit, and it, it, I just wish I had a sack outlet so I could get rid of him and bring him back out. Yep. All right, Joe, take the next one. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and take Starnheim Unleashed. So Starnheim Unleashed, it costs two generic and then white-white for a sorcery. It says, create a 4-4 white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance. If this spell was foretold, create X of those tokens instead, and its foretell cost is XX white. Starnheim Unleashed is, is just a fantastic card. Again, it's not seeing much play in standard because of the amount of mana that's really needed. However, I think... Once Throne of Eldraine rotates out, you're going to see this card more and more frequently. Uh, 
the ability to create 4-4 white angel warrior creature tokens with flying and vigilance. I mean, just creating one of those for four, that's, that's awesome. But being able to create one for three mana, two for five, three for, three for seven, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Just the amount of value that you can get out of that card for foretelling it. So the next one we're going to talk about is Demon Bolt, which is an, a red instant for two generic and a red. It says Demon Bolt deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker, and its foretell cost is a red. So Joe and I were talking about this before the episode, and some of the foretell cards will either be a little bit cheaper total mana cost wise. Right. Or a little bit more expensive. You know, the last two we talked about get more expensive if you foretell them. But this one... <laughs> this one breaks even. Yeah. So it's foretell cost, paying for the foretelling, and then for the foretell cost, that still equals its normal right. mana cost. But then again, you know, it's a bolt that... It reminds me of Rift Bolt. It honestly reminds me of Rift Bolt, but you can't target a player. Right. Well, but at the same time, I mean, you pay two on turn two... And then after that, you only need to hold up one red to deal, what, four? Four uh, damage to target creature or planeswalker? I mean, one for four, that's fantastic, and all you got to do is wait a turn. That's pretty awesome. I mean, you know, you do this turn two, and then, you know, you're just sitting there waiting for their big, their, you know, big beat stick to come down that you can, uh... Yeah. That you can easily go, um, no, that looks a little scary, so I'm just going to bolt it. Yeah. Okay, the next card we have with Fortel is Cosmos Charger. Cosmos Charger is a creature, costs three generic and a blue to cast. It has flash, flying, and foretelling cards from your hand cost one less and can be done on any player's turn. And then you can cast it for its foretell cost, which is two generic and a blue. Being able to foretell a card on any player's turn is just a phenomenal ability. I mean, it does cost two, you know, of course, to, to actually foretell a card. And when you're playing any deck really with blue in it, you want to hold open as much mana as possible until the end of your, your opponent's turn, just to, even if it's just to psych them out so that they don't know what's going on. But being able to foretell at the end of their turn now, and then you can still cast the card on your turn. Yeah, because it is technically it is, a later it, turn. It's, it's a turn later, so you can then go cast the card on your turn, and you're casting it for on, or you're foretelling it uh, for only one rather than two. Cosmos Charger is one of the most powerful foretell cards. Um, like I said, we'll wait and see if a foretell deck in standard manages to really come about. But Cosmos Charger is another one of those. If a foretell deck does become popular, it's going to shoot up in price. So. Grab them now if you're interested while they're really cheap. And a really nice thing is is that Flash. Flash, yes. So Joe and I were actually talking about this beforehand. And so you have to cast... You can only cast the spell at the time that you normally can, timing restriction-wise. So if it's an instant with Fortel, then you can cast it at instant speed. But if it's a creature with foretell, you have to cast it during your turn, your main phase, when the stack is empty, you have priority, all of those lovely hoops that you always have to jump through to cast yep. creatures. Well, if it has flash, congratulations. You can now flash this thing in at instant speed. Yeah. And again, it can make a huge difference in the game immediately. 
Oh yeah, especially by any anytime you can reduce cost of something, especially something as powerful as foretelling. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be a powerhouse. Speaking of a reduced cost, this last card is actually the only artifact with foretell, and that is Scorn Effigy. And so Scorn Effigy is a artifact creature scarecrow for three generic mana. And because it's a creature, it's 2-3. But its foretell cost is zero. So this thing actually gets cheaper to cast if you foretell it. And personally, I like this because I'm thinking of my Sir Conrad deck with this. Right. I can foretell it for two. You know, just have something, you know, off to the side. Yeah. And then when I want to do something big and splashy, I can just bring him back. I can just foretell him for nothing. And then, you know, either sacrifice him or just add him to the pile of cards that's going to be killed this turn. Whatever I choose. If nothing else, he's a chump blocker. And, and a decent chump blocker at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he's definitely, he's he's a solid creature for, still, even with, Without the foretell, he's still a solid creature for three mana. I mean, right. he's still a two three for three. Yeah, decent, but foretelling, you know, yeah, you don't get to play him that same turn. But if you foretell him the next turn, you're gonna have you're gonna end up paying two mana for a two three. So when we start looking at all of these cards, and I know we spent a lot of time on some of our featured cards, but the the foretell mechanic really has such potential. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure we got to highlight some of those and really talk a little bit about them. And we, we, we look at all of the, the different cards that are out there. There are actually 41 cards that have the foretell ability at this time. There are 11 in white, 11 in blue, 8 in black, 6 in red, 4 in green. There are actually zero multicolored cards with foretell. And of course our lone artifact, the Scorn Effigy. Now, even though we have all of this, there are actually two cards that provide the opportunity for your entire deck to gain foretell. Chris, would you tell us about some of those? All right. The first one we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, and that's Dream Devourer, which is... Let me just pull this up real quick. All right. So, Dream Devourer is a 0-3 creature demon cleric for one and a black. And it has... Each non-land card in your hand without foretell has foretell. Its foretell cost is equal to its mana cost reduced by two. During your turn, you may pay two and exile it from your hand face down. Cast it on a later turn for its foretell cost. And it also has, whenever you foretell a card, Dream Devourer gets plus two, plus zero until end of turn. Dream Devourer gives things foretell. So like you said in the rules, if you if you foretell cards with Dream Devourer, but then Dream Devourer goes away, right. those cards are still foretold still and you foretold. can still play them. You can still cast them for the foretell cost, yeah. I honestly like this card. One, because you know, it makes everything... It adds that little spice of uncertainty. Yeah. That, that little bit of chaos. But not real chaos. Right. Because that's a complete... That's a show in itself. <laughs> a chaos. But no, it, it's a very popular card, again. And the fact that it turns everything into a Fertel card, you know, now you can exile the cards you really need and you don't want your opponents to get their hands on, or you can start bluffing with your opponents. 
You never know what they what you might be foretelling at this point. And your opponents may have like, okay, I know that there are these foretell cards in black and let's say green. All right, just throw another color in there. I know that there are these foretell cards, but they have Dream Devour. They could literally be foretelling anything. You know, and and I I have no idea what it could be. So and the fact that Dream Devour is the two drop, that makes it to where you can get him out early and you mm-hmm. can just start foretelling things and just keep your opponent on edge the entire game. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the other one that we're going to talk about is Ethereal Valkyrie, which is a 4-4 creature spirit angel for four generic, a white, and a blue. And it has flying and whenever Ethereal Valkyrie enters the battlefield or attacks, draw a card, then exile a card from your hand face down. It becomes foretold. Its foretell cost is its mana cost reduced by two. So... This is just like, it's very similar to uh, Dream Devourer in the fact that, you know, its mana cost is, you know, its foretell cost is its mana cost. Right, reduced by two. Reduced by two. And this one, whereas Dream Devourer is anything and everything that isn't a land can be foretold. With Ethereal Valkyrie, it's ETB and attack trigger. Right. So this thing is... If you have a way to give it haste, cool. You get two. Tr- you get two of these triggers in one turn. Actually, I've I've I played with this in the 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 Raynar Commander deck that came out with Kaldheim and everything, and it works really well. But honestly, the best way I've found to use Ethereal Valkyrie is to blink it. And if you can blink it and get you know when it comes into play, it gets that ETB trigger, and that's when you get to foretell something. But, I mean, the Ethereal Valkyrie is good. It's certainly nowhere near as good as Dream Devour. Not by a long shot. Uh, but it does a decent job for, you know, Azorius Colors. It's I mean, it's beneficial. So talking about the Ethereal Valkyrie, great segue into one of the featured decks, Fortell. Of course, they came out with a commander deck that features the Fortell mechanic. Um, headed by Raynar the Ever Watchful, it's a great deck, very powerful, has a lot of, of potential to it. In the Kaldheim Limited set, the blue-white color combination has that strong Fortel approach, and we can see that based on the number of cards in those colors that got the Fortel mechanic. However, many players will really experience the limited format through drafting and sealed events. So when you're going to these play styles, whether you're drafting a deck or going through a sealed format, don't really count on simply being able to build a blue-white Fortel deck. You might get lucky and you might be able to do it, but you need to know that Fortel does work in every color combination. And there's something good in every color combination about being able to Fortel cards. It's really just blue-white tends to have the strongest approach to it. So... This next section is something we've talked about before, but we we're taking a bit of a different approach to it. We used to talk about this as what goes well with this mechanic and what doesn't go so well. But now we're going to start talking about it from a different point of view. So how's the, what's the best way to play with the Fortel mechanic? Or if you've got a deck that features this, how do you really enhance those cards? And then what do you do when you play against someone who's using a lot of the Fortel ability? Chris, why don't you tell us about 
how to really enhance a Fortel-centered deck. So, for playing with the ability, uh, the best thing you can do is give them, give your Fortel cards flash. This can be done with uh, Vidalcan Orrery, if you're playing in a commander game, or if you're playing in modern or pioneer, it can be done with mm-hmm. uh, Leyline of Anticipation. Um, there's also um, the there's the Vivian that gives you uh, gives your creatures flash. Right. Yeah. Um. So if you can give them flash to where you can cast them at instant speed, you get around that whole caveat of timing. Yeah. So that's how you can make it a little bit a little bit more consistent. Well, it just not, or you know, or powerful. Powerful, un- unpredictable, I guess, could really be a great way to think about it, too, you know. Yeah. Um, another thing that you can do with, with playing with this ability is that cards that can let you foretell other cards, such as, as we've talked about, Dream Devourer, whereas he can let you foretell cards that don't have foretell. So that you can use and widen the scope of this ability. Um, Ethereal Valkyrie again for enter the battlefield attack triggers, blink, you can blink it, that kind of thing. Um, Another thing whenever you're playing with this ability is like we said in the rules, this is a special action. There isn't really any way for your, there isn't any way for your opponent to interact with you foretelling a card. Now let's be real clear about that too. They can't respond to you foretelling a card. However, when you go to cast the card, it's just like you cast it from your hand. So they can counter the spell, you know, they can avenge, or they can, uh, once it's in the battlefield, they can exile it or anything like that. So just be careful. Yes, it protects the card from being, you know, maybe discarded or something like that. But at the same time, they can still interact with it when you actually go to cast the card. And that looks like everything for playing with it. What about playing against it, Joe? So if you're playing against an opponent who really likes to use the foretell, really pay attention to your opponent's colors. When And when I say the, the colors of, of mana that your opponent is using, there are a limited number of options of cards that can be foretold based on whatever colors they are playing. And really, when you start to think about it, there are even fewer cards that actually see play that get foretold when you start looking at those color combinations. I mean, the Scorn Effigy, for as nice as it is, it really just doesn't see that much play. I mean, because I mean, it, it's a decent you know blocker and everything, but that's really all it does. So you can start thinking about what actually works into it. Even when we are talking about the Dream Devourer, you still have to pay with specific colored mana in order to cast the spell. So you really do pay attention to what they have and, and what they have available to them, and that can start to give you some hints as to what may be coming at you. If you're playing multiple games per match, all right, so if you're doing best of three, or if you know, you're going to a tournament whenever those finally get to start up again, remember that foretold cards not cast still have to be revealed to your opponent at the end of the game. So this does two things. Number one, as we talked about in the rules, it enables you to verify that the cards were legally foretold. 
but it also gives you information about what they may have in mind to play in the next game. Now, this is no guarantee that those cards will stay in the deck. They may get sideboarded out, but this will give you some more ideas as to what you may need to play around that you would not have seen if they just if they were stuck in their in the, your opponent's hand. So it, it gives you information. Um, not always really, I guess, the nicest way to think about that, but information when you're playing multiple games is a lot of power. I mean, Chris, you've done modern tournaments before. You can attest to that. The more information you know about your opponent's deck, the easier it is to play against them. Yep. Information is very, very vital, especially whenever you're playing in some of the bigger competitive tournaments. And it's not just information that you can gather from your opponent. Whenever I was playing at the Grand Prix throughout the game, one of my opponents was like, hey, remind me to tell you about something. Remind me to uh, tell you this or tell you that after this, after we're done. I was like, okay. And then, so, you know, we play. But after that game, they were like, hey, whenever I did this, you could have done this. They were giving me feedback after the fact, but I could use that against someone down the road. Right. So know how foretell decks can run. Yeah. So that you can kind of add a little bit of not certainty but like awareness. Yeah. to playing against them. It just gives you an idea to know what what may what you may come up against, you know. And you can start to narrow down what that foretold card may be, which again, information. You know, if you know that they have mystic reflection foretold away, you can play around that a little bit. If you don't have no idea what it is, it just makes it harder. So, Let's talk about some of the uses of Fortel in different formats. Chris, go ahead and start us off. Alright, so because this set came out very, very recently... About a month ago as the time of this recording? Something like that? Yeah. Has it been a month already? I think it's been a month, yeah. That's all that's been out. Alright, so because this is so new about a month old, um, we haven't really seen it be adopted into other formats. No. And it, in, in our opinion, it's just slow. It is too slow for some of the other formats outside of standard. Because um, in modern, you can go very, very, very fast and focused and games um, can be over very quickly if against a very tuned uh, modern deck. Uh, there was one where by turn four we were shuffling up for a second game. And so foretelling in modern, unless you're playing something that is more mid-range or half the cards, half the foretell cards are in blue and white, Azorius Control is a thing, so, but even then, they I might just, have a home there. Might, yeah, might, might, might have a home in modern Azorius control. But I think that's the only real place that they could have it. Demon Bolt, maybe in Red Deck wins. But even then, sideboarded. Even even then, you start to look at you know the further back you go too. There's just better options. It's not that these cards are bad. There's just there's something better that's already out there. I mean, even with Demon Bolt. Yeah, you can run Demon Bolt, or you could just run Lightning Bolt. 
it costs one less, or it, it deals one less damage, but you know it's going to cost one. You don't have to wait a turn to use it. You're not wasting that two mana to you know tuck it away for a little bit. You can just, boom, hit him with three to the face. So, I mean, even when we start to look at standard, standard right now is still dominated by the Throne of Eldraine set, and when it finally rotates out, then we'll, we'll get a better idea, I think, of really what Fortel can do. After all the cheering has stopped. Yeah. And all the crying. <laughs> exactly. But right now, even looking at the meta, there's really only three Fortel cards that are making any sort of waves in standard, and that's Saw It Coming, Behold the Multiverse, and amazingly, All Runs Epiphany, which I thought would just be way too overcosted, but apparently there are some people who are like, yes, give me those extra turns, and I'm willing to pay for it. But yeah, outside of that, it's just too slow. Well, Chris, I think it's about time that uh, we talk about, you know, if, if uh, we have some extended reading for any of our, our listeners. This week, our extended reading is Seven Simple Tips to Improve Your MTG Game. It was written by Nico, and I'm just going to mess up this last name, so let's go with Bone, Bonnie? Nico? I don't know. Well, spell it. Well, sound it out. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe it is Boney. I'm. I apologize uh, I'm, to this I'm, author. I don't know. I'll go with Boney, just because yeah. it's a B O N E. Yeah, I. Bony. I don't know. So, I apologize <laughs> to the author. I'm sure I messed up your name. Anyway, it was written in March of 2019, so about two years ago. Again, from the time of this recording, but I think that the. Uh, the information provided in this article is so relevant even to today. So what what he does is he actually tells a story about um, uh, he and his buddies were going to a tournament, and I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but the night before they were doing some playtesting of their decks. And so they, they wanted to have the, the two guys were going to play, and then their two buddies were going to sit behind one behind each person, and they were going to watch for mistakes that could have been made. Now, the fun part is they're eating sushi at the same time, and the cue that someone had made a mistake amongst the, the two watchers was they would eat a piece of sushi anytime their person made a mistake. <laughs> they finished their sushi before the game was halfway over. <laughs> but it was, it was amazing, and it's, it's little things that he talks about. Number one, know when to mulligan your hand. All right, Things like don't organize your cards in a particular way in your hand. It's, it's little things, and I just thought these seven tips are so, and believe it or not, that one in particular, I still think about that now, because I'm thinking, I would really like to have all my land in one spot, my creatures in another, my instants and sorcery, it's just easier for me to recognize. But that immediately, now if, if someone picks up on that, they can now start to figure out, okay, well, he moved these two cards over to this side of his hand, so that must mean he has two lands, and then he moved these two over here, so he either has two instants or two sorceries, all right? It just, it gives, it gives your player, again, inf- your opponent information that they don't need. Some of them are real simple. Know when to mulligan, all right? Know when to just toss the hand away and try again. Don't concede too early. You never know what might happen those last couple turns, Yeah. Right? But the, the one about organizing your hand, I never thought about it, but it is true. And if people are able to pick up on that. Anyway, like I said, it's just it's a great article, and I think it's it's something that people should read. Take you less than 10 minutes to read. So, all right, Chris, it's time for our cleanup. 
We get some questions from our listeners. What is our question today? What is our opinion on proxies? Well, Chris, I think first we should define what a proxy is so that people know what we're talking about when we answer this question. So when I think of proxies, I think of something as, something that could be as simple as a piece of paper or even a junk card with you know just a little bit of information written on to act as a placeholder. Um, because either A, it's not in your collection, B, it's too expensive to put into your collection and you don't want to sell a kidney for it, or C, you're just testing. So you don't yeah. want to like straight up buy it. I am perfectly fine with basic proxies, even just like kind of like doing a little doodle on a like, you know, extra card or whatever. I am absolutely a hundred percent hands down against the like the proxies that could be counterfeits. I want oh, yeah. I want there to be I want it to be known that I'm using a proxy. Yeah. Also, when I'm playing with others, with if I'm playing with people outside my playgroup, I always because I have only a limited number of certain cards, I'll proxy them across all of my decks and just keep a stack of cards, like a stack of the legitimate cards, right, with me, so that I can be like, look, I have this. It's just that I don't have a lot of copies of it. And Which I think is a, that's a perfectly legitimate time to use proxies, you know, especially if you're building a lot of decks and if you're building like commander decks where you're going to use Blasphemous Act in all of your red decks as a great board wipe. Narset's Reversals, right. Command Tower, Wayfarer Bobble, Lightning Greaves. He's looking at you, Wizards. Reprint Wayfarer's Bobble. Yes, please, <laughs> please, please, please. I love that card. I only have one of it. But let's talk about some times, too, when, while we are okay with proxies, and we really we really don't have too much of a problem with them, again, talk to your playgroup. Make sure they're okay with it, too. Most of the time, people are going to be understanding around the kitchen table. But when you go to a tournament, and this includes Friday Night Magic, proxies, they're, they're only... Proxies are not allowed. However, the head judge of your tournament does have permission to issue you a proxy under very specific circumstances. If you are playing with a Black Lotus, you can get a proxy for it. Actually, that is one of the examples. You can, if you're playing with very expensive cards, and you do show the judge, judge, I do have copies of these, all right? I, I do have them, but I would rather not have them as part of my deck because of their value. Would you issue me a proxy for this card? The judge absolutely can do that. One of the best examples about issuing proxies comes with drafting and foil cards. You know, foil cards frequently can come out bent and, and curved to the point where it is so curved right out of the package that it could easily be qualifying as a marked card. It's so easily noticeable in your deck. And there have been stories. I've never had it happen, but there have been stories where people open up a draft pack and they, they pull that card and that's the one they want you know, for their deck, but they go to the judge and be like, I, I can't play with this. Would you issue me a proxy for it instead? And the judge will, if they deem that it will absolutely not work, they can issue you a proxy. The other, the, the last instance that's pretty common is if a card is so severely damaged during play 
that it can't be used anymore. And again, or it would turn into a marked card at that point. So like if you're shuffling and it gets bent. Exactly. You know, if it gets bent to the point where like the sleeve has a noticeable crease in it. And so obviously the card is then bent significantly. Again, if you don't have another copy and it's entirely possible you won't, the head judge, and again, we want to be very clear, it is the head judge of the tournament, all right? Head judge has the ability to issue a proxy to you, and it'll be good for that tournament. Do not go up to a head judge and say, Judge, I really want to play this deck that includes Mystic Reflection, but I only have two copies, but I want to run four. Can you issue me two proxies so that I can run my deck with Mystic Reflection? Four copies of it. The judge is going to look at you and say, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, no, that, that's it'll not going to happen. <laughs> no, it'll probably go, no, can I see your deck list? <laughs> well, yes, there's that too, yeah. They'll want to check your deck list real quick after. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I see your deck list? Um, you're missing two cards. Yeah, yeah that's a disqual. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, if nothing else, I mean, at least it'll be a deck deckless mismatch, which will get you... Disqualed. You know, uh, maybe not disqualified, but it will it will at least get you uh, violations or warnings, you know, so... Um, which can lead to disqualification if you do more... If you make more mistakes throughout the, the day. Yeah. Any other thoughts on proxies? I am a huge fan of proxy tokens. Yes. Especially the ones that my wife makes me because I love my my Eldrazi tokens because they're flurkins and she made those with love and I love them. (laughs) (laughs) No, tokens are of course, you know, tokens you can have all sorts of fun with. Those don't have to be very specific or anything like that. So yeah, Yeah. a lot of people get interesting looking token art and all that fun stuff. Uh, I saw on the MTG subreddit where a guy actually... It, on one of his card kingdom orders was like hey can you make me a custom token oh yeah and they and if you get a, if you get someone cool you know that's actually pulling your cards they will actually sit down and like doodle something on a yeah on like a blank <laughs> token card and send it to you and like put it in with your cards i'm like that's awesome yeah so proxies are great you know, just if you use them responsibly. If you use them responsibly, yeah. And again, just you know, know know the limits on your proxies. Don't take them to a tournament, and or don't you don't even take them to Friday Night Magic. You know, but if it's kitchen table and everybody is okay with it, not a problem. And then of course we say all of this with the addendum that your playgroup may have a different opinion. So, as we always will say, talk to people and get their thoughts too. All right. The worst they can tell you is, no, we really not rather you not use proxies. You should just play with the cards you have. You know. I mean, there's always that wonderful rule zero. Talk. Communicate. A lot can be solved if you just communicate. Yeah. Ask questions. Get feedback. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up on proxies. In the comments section, tell us your thoughts on proxies. What do you think about them? Does your group ban them and make you play with only the cards you have? Is your group okay with you proxying several hundred dollar cards because you want to play the really powerful spells? Let us know what you think. And if you have a question, Chris, how can they get in touch with us? So we have an email and a uh, Twitter uh, for the email. It's uh, mtg under the hood at gmail.com and if you want to reach us on twitter it's at mtg under the hood 
So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to throw your two cents in, uh, let us know how you're doing. Dad jokes. News that you want us to see, you know, things like that. Feel free to reach out to us either by email or Twitter and more will come down the line. We just have to uh, kind of get there first. But I think that's everything. So thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm the guy who always quotes the rules. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. So stay tuned.